Success Movie Rewind. We're looking at movies through a personal development lens, seeing what we can learn. Here's your host, Alex Stevens. Hi, folks, and welcome to Success Movie Rewind. I'm your host, Alex Stevens, and this week we are going to be talking about one of the best movies I've seen in a long time, a movie with a lot to offer us, whether or not you've seen the movie. Success Movie Rewind is always going to be a spoiler-free, within-reason type of podcast. In other words, if we're talking about a new movie, we're not going to give it away. We're not even going to assume that you've seen it or that you'll ever see it. If we're talking about these movies on this podcast, it's because we think that they have valuable lessons or illustrations of principles or just neat bouncing boards to talk about ideas that we're all interested in here on the Success Network of Podcasts, personal development, self-improvement, entrepreneurialism, communication, and just what it means to be a human being and how we can best become who we're meant to be while we're here on earth. And so we don't want you to feel like you have homework or that you need to have seen every Spider-Man to have come out in the 21st century even. Even though all of them are referred to in this entry in the Spider-Man series, we'll explain all of that to the extent necessary, but really we're, we want to have a good conversation here. And so even though I'll be monologuing, we've got some clips just from the trailer, if you are worried about spoilers, if you haven't seen the movie yet and you do think you might want to, I would tell you I enjoyed it. I went out to a movie theater and had a great time. It was my first time going to the movies since quarantine began for COVID, and it really was uh, different. I have a projector in my house, so it's not as if I'm watching movies on my phone uh, I haven't been deprived of any big screens, but there really is something about sitting in the dark with other people. You're kind of alone together and you're being united by your collective imaginations. Even though you're all taking in the same story, on the other hand, you're all experiencing it a little differently. And so I'm going to share with you some things that I thought about during the movie and also obviously afterwards. And, uh, you know, of course, we're interested in your thoughts as well. So if there are comments, go ahead and jump in and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to hear some interesting perspectives there as well. So let's get right to it. Let's talk about the first big takeaway that we can learn from Spider-Man. Uh, in particular, uh, the, the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man, the actor who is currently playing Spider-Man in this franchise. I should say the main actor who's currently playing Spider-Man in this franchise because uh, this Spider-Man very quickly starts meddling with the magic of alternate universes and eventually calls in both heroes and villains from other, what I'll call Spider-Verses, you know what? I don't think I invented that term. This podcast strives to be an intellectually honest one. And that means maybe sometimes I'll, I'll say something without citing my sources. But I'm not going to let myself slide for, for saying that I coined the Spider-Verse. I think that's in the title of the animated Spider-Man movie that came out a couple of years ago that featured Miles Morales, of course, the, the first Spider-Man of color or uh, the, the first diverse uh, the first Spider-Man to lend diversity to the history and continuity of various people uh, 
who have had that title, at least in his own way. Um, and Jamie Foxx refers to that in this movie by, by kind of hinting that we might see that by saying, which is the truth. We have to acknowledge it. And that's one of the cool things about these infinite universes is they allow all these different stories and new stories to be told on the screen. So it's not a huge spoiler to say that Jamie Foxx does, does say, you know, it does make sense that there would be a, a black Spider-Man because Spider-Man is from the Bronx. Uh, and I think we'll see that. So it's cool. It's also cool to think about that Spider-Man has an interest in Star Wars, even though or maybe not even though, maybe because, or maybe it's just a cool coincidence, but the possibilities are endless uh, because Marvel and Disney and Star Wars are all kind of under the same roof now. And so maybe the infinite universes will let us see Ewoks interacting with Spider-Man and Wolverine and Mickey Mouse. I would, I would like that. I would like if, if, uh, there was a video game a long time ago, Kingdom Hearts, that I didn't play, but I did see it, and it kind of melded all those different characters together. That would be a cool movie to me. So if you're enthusiastic about stories in general, or if you just want to hear uh, some interesting ideas that come to mind when we consider these stories, then this is the podcast for you. Um, so when we do clips and discuss things on the show, a lot of times we'll be pulling just from the trailer to make sure we don't give away too much. And that's what we're going to do here with our, our first trailer. And it really illustrates what this story is all about. And one thing we can really learn from Peter Parker, which is that you have to start somewhere. Um, in many ways, there are, there are not many human stories. There are many people have said there are only two or three human stories. One of my favorite writers, Kurt Vonnegut, said of his own life and his writing that it's all about whether you're, you've got an equilibrium and you're losing it and you're trying to get it again, or you're at a state of disequilibrium and you're trying to remedy that by getting back to a state of wholeness, which will, of course, inevitably at some point result in a new state of a new kind of disequilibrium repeating that journey, but doing it a new way each time. It's kind of the story of life and the big story. And so we're always kind of beginning in media res, as they say. We're all like Odysseus in the Odyssey, stranded after the Trojan War. It, even if you go back to birth, you know, uh, one of my favorite series of books, the, the, the Song of Ice and Fire that became the HBO series Game of Thrones, they have a, a saying in the books that says a, a woman's war is in the birthing bed, you know, because it's in the medieval times. The women, there are some exceptions. There's uh, Brienne, the, the female knight who has her own unique journey. But for the most part, this is not a world where women are out fighting. And so... I think about that and I think about Odysseus and I think about all of us in a way, we're all kind of stranded after that war. We're all outside of the womb wondering what the heck just happened, probably crying pretty early, uh, exposed to the elements. If we're lucky, there are people who love us trying to comfort us around us, but it's imperfect even then because we're human to human and there's already a language barrier and confusion. 
And we just have to hope and pray that, that love gets us through it. But you do have to start somewhere, even knowing that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to bear costs and maybe even impose them on others. And Spider-Man is all about that. Uh, I really admire him. He's, he's always struggling with his powers, especially his, his superpowers, but also with uh, his ability to be himself. And I think all of the Spider-Man stories are always about Spider-Man shedding a version of himself. It often correlates to his actual suit. You can kind of track the state of Spider-Man's psyche by how ripped up his suit is often. Or if you're a fan of the 90s comic books, if it becomes a, a black and white or a, a darker red version of the suit with different characters. I think we might see that in the, in the Venom series in years to come. Uh, but anyway, Spider-Man takes action eventually. Uh, and it's interesting to think about when Spider-Man came onto the scene. It was 1962, JFK had been elected and was still alive, but the United States, in my opinion, was already, at least if you look back at the story history is told, struggling and ambivalent with its own status as a superpower. Uh, we've got atomic weaponry, but we, our leadership is not the generation that developed it. It's a, there's a bit of an inheritance there, and I think there's a bit of an ambivalence that you can then track through the, the 70s and the 80s. And, you know, I'm sure those theories will come up. But my point is, it's very interesting that the with great power comes great responsibility line is really there from the start. It's in the first issue. Uh, but it's not attributed to Uncle Ben. It's just uh, written as a caption at the end of the issue. So it's interesting to see how that story has gotten told through the years and almost been refined to the point that in this universe, and I went back and checked, I watched Captain America Civil War from 2016, which was the first time this Spider-Man showed up in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They don't even need to do the backstory. There's one line of dialogue where he says he was bitten by a spider and, and then another line that says the spider is now dead. And the rest were kind of left to fill in as an audience, which is a pretty confident move by the storytellers, but I think it pays off because we can assume a lot of cultural background knowledge regarding this character because there is something about Spider-Man that is just so embedded in our zeitgeist. You can't just make this happen. Uh, even as I say that, part of me is saying, yes, it's the money and the might of the big studio system. And they can, if they want us to watch a movie, they, they can do that. But it's not really true. There, there's something about Spider-Man and there's something about the character and the way the story gets told on the screen. There's, uh, again, I don't play video games, but I've, I hang around people who do sometimes. So I've seen the recent Spider-Man PlayStation 4 game, and it is equally cinematic. There, there's something about the swinging around on the buildings, but being a down-to-earth hero. There's something about uh, the... the the fact that Peter Parker is almost always in a weird transition of life stages where he just gets glimpses of equilibrium, often having romantic trouble. He almost never has any money or never feels like he has enough money. But he's also always surrounded by people who want to support him, and he struggles with how much risk he can impose on them. 
or how much risk he should put on them versus the, the need to protect them. The fact that inaction may be the greatest risk of all. And I think we can all relate to that uh, if we're interested in personal development or self-development. That ambivalence, that feeling that you see something that no one else sees, and so you have to be the one to execute it. And that starts first and foremost with you know who in your heart you think you should be as you live your day-to-day -day life. But it does go beyond that. If you're interested in any kind of enterprise or you know entrepreneurship, or even a, a side business, or taking and uh, more agency within your job, you don't have to be starting a business to have, of course, an entrepreneurial mindset um, with respect to your goals from whatever you're doing with your time. And so, if you have that vision, if you if you know something has to happen. And, and you just feel compelled that you have to act, it is good to weigh all the pros and cons and to make sure that you're not acting too rashly. But at the end of the day, it is an instance of listening to your heart and listening to what you think could be and how the world could be and deciding to make that happen. I, I really love the line in Captain America Civil War when... Peter is explaining to Tony Stark, Iron Man, the, the rich weapons dealer turned superhero who kicked off the Marvel Cinematic Universe back in 2008 and who is in many ways looking for a successor and uh, an heir and in many ways is using Peter and kind of putting Peter at risk, which he comes to terms with later in the film. And so I, I couldn't help but think of that movie putting this latest movie spider-man no way home in in context because it does seem like peter is worried uh, about inheriting those dark sides of tony stark as well that come with those powers that can put people at risk that can be destructive because tony's done that uh, and and maybe he had to to defend the world and of course you know we had the issue of half of all life disappearing in the Avengers movie, I think five years ago. And I, I want to give credit where it's due. Tony Stark did bring that back, if you recall. So, you know, I, I, I don't mean to suggest that the dark side or the potential for uh, the destructive side of creative destruction is a reason not to do anything. In fact, quite the opposite. And Spider-Man puts it so well in Captain America Civil War when he explains to Tony that the way he sees it is if you have superpowers and you don't use them and something bad happens that you could have prevented, then it's kind of on you. And I think we can all relate to that. If you've ever felt that something should be different and you, and you felt like you have to do it, um, and that you're uniquely called to do it, whatever your superpowers are. I was reading Brene Brown's latest book, and I don't want to get the title wrong, and I'm nervous that I will, so I'm going to just pull up my Kindle, Atlas of the Heart. And uh, it's, it's basically, as far as I can tell, I haven't finished it, but she's going through various emotions and uh, helping the reader expand your emotional intelligence by expanding your emotional vocabulary so that you can identify feelings as they come up and better tell stories about them. Um, you know, the more nuance you can bring to these things. 
the better. The more we can get beyond I'm angry or I'm sad or, you know, and we can get to I'm, I'm frustrated or, you know, something like that. Uh, but she, in the beginning, refers to her hypersensitivities in many ways uh, as superpowers. And they really are, uh, I think, Brene Brown is a hyperperceptive person. And so she really is a, a Spider-Man of emotional intelligence in many ways in that she's very open about her journey and, and the, the, the lessons she learned, she's learned about being vulnerable and sharing the dark side and the weak sides uh, or times when she's felt weak during that journey so that she can show us how she ultimately emerged stronger and how we might be able to as well, which of course obviously is, is what Spider-Man's all about. But she refers to these um, sensitivities as superpowers. And I thought that was really neat as I was thinking about Spider-Man um, because we all have superpowers and that's what's cool about these heroes on the screen. They're such heightened versions of uh, aspects of being human that we can't help but relate to them because they're, they're able to present captivating stories that take us outside of our everyday lives. But in doing that, we take something away that we can, we can walk around and remember that in our own lives, wherever we're wielding any kind of power, we have a responsibility, for example. And you can thank Spider-Man for that um, because he started somewhere. All right. So that brings us to the middle of this podcast and it's a fitting place to talk about our second big takeaway or big discussion point, big thing to think about when, we th when I think about Spider-Man No Way Home. And that is when you get to that, that middle of your story, the, the, the dark night of your soul, the moment of chaos, the moment when you're not sure it's going to be worth it or when it seems like your whole plan doesn't actually work. Maybe your calculations are a little bit off. You've got to work something out. You, you may even forget why you started this journey in the first place. When that happens, you've got to stand in your spiral. You can't be afraid to stand in that chaos, to jump into that spiral, to go into that darkness, and see what might need revisiting, what might need flipping around, where you might have been completely wrong, where you might need to do a 180, or maybe just where you need to make some tweaks, where you maybe you realize you have a very sound system, but there's a few aspects of it that you need to tweak, a few things you've learned that you now need to incorporate so that you can get back on track. Either way, you don't know whether you're in a worst case scenario or best case scenario or anywhere in between if you're afraid of looking at the chaos, if you're afraid of looking at the shadow, the reflection, the dark reflection of everything you're doing. And the Spider-Man movie really does that on a meta storytelling level in a phenomenal way. I'm not giving anything away when I say that because of Spider-Man's wish to undo the previous movie's villain's last act of revenge, the villain Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, in the previous Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man 
far from home. As the movie ended, he revealed Spider-Man's identity to the world. And so the equilibrium that Spider-Man's trying to get back to, and he says this in, in the trailer as we heard, is to get back to that week of normalcy when his girlfriend and his close loved ones knew who he was, including the secret that he had been carrying of his identity as Spider-Man. But Mysterio ruined it by revealing his identity to the world, causing all kinds of problems. And so Spider-Man goes to Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme, and enlists his help, Avenger to Avenger, to meddle with time and space and physics in a way that undoes the reveal of Spider-Man's identity. That's what Spider-Man does to take action. Remember our, our first lesson. You've got to do something. Once you realize what your superpowers are, once you realize what your vision is, what you need to do, you've got to act. You can't let the fear of mistakes hold you back indefinitely. But you can't ignore that fear either. Sometimes it's there um, for good reason, of course. And we'll talk about that more. Where do we strike that balance? Spider-Man helps us. Sometimes those anxieties are helpful, but you do have to act at some point. Spider-Man does, but in dealing with Doctor Strange, uh, we see that the plan almost immediately, and we all know this, Mike Tyson said it best, I think, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I think that means you need to plan to get punched in the mouth. Uh, and... Peter Parker and Doctor Strange get punched in the mouth almost immediately as their communication failures start resulting in a lack of a united front with respect to the spells they're casting. They're, they're confused about this, the new story they want to tell. And we can hear that in the trailer when Doctor Strange describes his understanding of what Peter wanted. Botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. So we see there already, although Peter wanted uh, that, that feeling back when a few of his loved ones knew that he was Peter Parker, the spell goes a little too far. And Dr. Strange understands or the, the spell works itself. I don't remember the exact mechanics, but the point is the spell starts looking like it's going to make everyone forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, including his loved ones. So it goes too far. It's got a cost that Peter didn't foresee. And so he immediately starts trying to undo that with resulting in new spells and further communication breakdowns. I think Dr. Strange was a little reckless myself, but the point is this is the confusion that results in all of the parallel universes of different versions of Spider-Man that we've seen on the screen over the years converge on the Marvel Cinematic Universe version, and their villains come with them, and we have all kinds of adventures. It's good to see everybody back. It's a good time if, if you're fond of those movies. 
But the point is, for our takeaway and our discussion here today, when it goes too far and you feel like everything's upside down, this movie really does give you a good visual representation because it's got a really cool sequence, of course, when you're meddling with different parallel universes and running from different versions of yourself and needing to unite them so you can face down all of your demons and villains. Of course, you're ultimately telling a story about yourself and learning and confronting new aspects, learning about and confronting new aspects of yourself and integrating them. And so, of course, at some point, you need to go to the mirror zone. And when they're in the mirror zone and everything is upside down and it, it's their chance at containing the universes, Peter, in the midst of all of his confusion, remember, he's a mathlete, he's a scholar, he's in many ways like Tony Stark. He was superpowered before he got superpowers because he was so smart and, and such a good student. And so he recognizes a literal spiral, what, what he identifies as a, an Archimedean spiral. And I'm not Peter Parker. Uh, and so, thank goodness, I had Wikipedia uh, when I got home. I did look that up. And it really is that spiral. Peter was, of course, yeah, which not a surprise. I, th I think the, that would be very sloppy writing if it wasn't that. But um, the Archimedean spiral is a cool concept because it is not only a device that through the use of uh, a compass that is made of two straight edges, uh, are you able to produce circles, which is cool, but you're able to, if you plot, if you use one of those edges and sort of move it along at a constant rate of time on one plane, like you make your circles longer at a constant rate as you're drawing them, you will draw an Archimedean spiral with that old-fashioned compass. And to be clear, I'm talking about the compass that has the, the two straight edges. One is a point that you use as your starting point, and then the other, you attach a pencil to it so that you can draw circles. Uh, I think it's called the straight edge compass at times. Um, and so Peter identifies that, and that's sort of his his home base, his 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 signal, his his if if you recall the movie Inception, his it's like his his touchstone, the thing that can allow you to remember where you come from, even when it seems like you're in an upside down mirror world where nothing makes sense. And so it's it's very cool to see Peter put this together with the help of his friends, you know, with, with this new starting point. So in a sense, the middle point where you stand in your spiral is a new beginning always, and it's the ending of your confusion. Uh, only after you stand in your spiral can you go down into it, find out what's at the bottom of it, and then start climbing your way out. And Peter does that by doing what he knows he is good at, which is math. And so when he rec recognizes this powerful mathematical symbol at the center of this narrative, he's able to start doing math. And it, what I love about the script is it really, it's very clever. And I, sometimes people say clever as an insult. I realize that as I say it, but I don't mean it that way. It's, 
it's cool. It's like a meta, not in the sense of a metaverse of infinite universes, but in the old sense of, um, you know, referring to itself, which itself, I say it's the old sense. You know what's cool? I looked that up before this podcast. And according to Merriam-Webster, I think, and my Google internet search of what appear to be pretty reputable dictionary sites and Google Trends analytics that come with these kind of searches. It's always a very interesting tool. Meta has only been used in that self-referential sense as its own word since the 80s. And I just called it the old sense because we now have the, the infinite universe sense that Mark Zuckerberg used when he explained that that's why Facebook is called Meta now. He, he said it's because the metaverse is the future of the internet, which itself, that use has only been around since the 90s. So it's almost as old as the old use, but it's now overtaking uh, the previous old use, which is just from the 80s, which overtook the prefix, you know, the, the actual prefix use that we've seen since ancient times, since the ancient Greek, which when I looked it up, I didn't realize always meant uh, not only uh, referring to something across or of itself, but across different times, which is very interesting. So in a way, you know, the, the Odyssey opens with an invocation to the muse to sing for current time and all time of uh, a time from history. And so in a way, all stories is, have always been meta, but in a way, this term keeps meaning new things, but always the same thing. Very cool. Uh, and I realize I may have rambled. I may have blown us off course a little bit. I'm a little bit of an Odysseus myself, but that's what this podcast is all about. We do preserve some of that spontaneity. I'm not reading from a script here. I wasn't sure if we were going to get to that, but I think it's such an interesting point. And that's why these movies are so cool. They're such important cultural artifacts in the sense that they've got more eyeballs than basically any other cultural property, maybe in the history of all time. And they know it and they're having fun with it and they're reminding us of it. Uh, another cool thing to think about is that the villain from the previous movie, Mysterio, uh, was a liar and was ultimately revealed to be a liar basically by deconstructing his made-up origin story which itself introduced the idea of multiple parallel universes. That was part of his fraud, was saying that he came from a parallel universe. And so the, these movies have kind of trained us to be skeptical if we're paying attention, even as they then invite us to, in a way, discard that skepticism enough to enjoy the movie. And in a way, they enchant us into doing it. It, it really is a phenomenal experience. So if you're interested, I would see it. But if not, it's something to think about. Uh, the convergence of the meta, as we see this term pop up more and more, including in what is still a very important social media network. I hear people who are skeptical about it. I'm not on Facebook myself or I'm not on meta myself, uh, but it's, it's definitely still worth paying attention to. So anyway, let's get back on course. Um, but you know, that, that was a, a bit of a spiral for this episode. And I, I don't think we should be afraid to stand in it. It's going to get confusing as our social media, uh, companies continue to offer us increasingly meta products. So that brings me to the third 
lesson or the third takeaway or the third point of discussion I think we can take from Spider-Man No Way Home, which is that even when you're doing the math, you can't forget the magic. So as I was saying, Peter Parker is a, a mathlete. And he's able to do math. And when he's discussing his math abilities, again, it's, the, it's a very clever use of the dialogue to do a lot of heavy lifting because the script compares myth almost to feeling and then math to translating feeling through language the way Brene Brown and many others uh, have taught us to do and all great storytellers do. Uh, and so Peter says, you know, okay, that's math. I can do math. And he actually says, you know, what's cooler than magic is math. And, uh, he, he uses as an example, Thor, who of course is a mythological God of thunder from the Norse myths, uh, from millennia ago, but who is a hero in the Marvel universe who has been an Avenger since I think the 1960s and who was one of the early heroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so Peter says, Thor was a myth, but now, you know, of course, in this cinematic universe, they're now studying Thor in science textbooks because the scientists of the, uh, of S.H.I.E.L.D. and um, I, all scientists, it appears in this, in this universe would be interested. I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't be if, uh, Norse gods were walking around and leveling cities as the Avengers appear to repeatedly do. And so a cool thread throughout all of the Thor movies is, is turning magic into math. And that's really sometimes what stories threaten to do. And I think that sometimes there's an unease, you know, when we think about creative destruction, that as you go to execute your dreams, there's a, that phrase itself is almost kind of dark. You're in a way executing your dreams because you have to be out in the real world. So you're, you're, when you're dreaming of a vision, it's in this perfect, almost platonic realm of how everything can go so well and all of the potential value you might be able to provide. But as we all know, reality intervenes and uh, you can lose sight of why you set forth in the first place. And especially if it feels like things are riskier than you thought, or you're taking on costs that you didn't think you would, or the people who work for you or your family or people who care about you or your vision are taking on costs or frustrations that you didn't think they should, or that you wish you could prevent, but you weren't able to foresee. Spider-Man's continually grappling with that, but he continually finds a way. And I think the reason that he's able to do that is that when he's standing in the spiral, when you're in the mirror zone and you have to flip everything upside down, he never forgets the magic. And if it's, if it's real magic, you, it, you won't forget it. You're not really able to. So there's no danger to it, even if it feels like it, of going out and executing. Because the story will kind of tell itself and as you execute, you refine, and what you leave on the cutting room floor is just the pieces of the marble that weren't part of David. Uh, you know, Michelangelo or Michelangelo, uh, if you're trying to impress people, I think famously said, sculpting is about just taking away 
the pieces of the marble that are not David. So, you know, you may make mistakes. You may have an, uh, a nose that doesn't look like David along the way, but if you trust your vision and you have faith in your skills and you've honed them, you can strike away the marble and, and trust that, that the, the David will emerge. And to do that, you have to remember your magic. You have to remember what you love and what really is propelling you to take on all these risks. Uh, and of course, material re rewards can be part of that. But I think almost everyone who's been successful at starting anything that resulted in material rewards that was in any way off the beaten path of the status quo could probably have done something that seemed like it was going to result in more quantifiable ret returns on their time and energy. But there's some passion and there, there's, there's some need and almost the compulsion to act, uh, to make the world closer to that vision, I think that unites anybody who's interested in personal development. And I know it can be frustrating and there are times when you can feel like you, you can't really communicate your vision. And I think in a way, you never fully are able to. It's just a, res uh, a matter of trying over and over again and learning as much as you can and doing your best and allowing other people to do their best along with you uh, as long as your vision is united. So one, one, or as long as your visions are consistent, I should say, not necessarily united. And I think that's one of the most interesting villains that Sp Spider-Man deals with in this uh, installment is the Green Goblin back from the first Spider-Man series uh, way back in 2002. Um, and so one of the things that, that he says to Peter, in fact, let's roll the clip. Peter, you're struggling to have everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. So that's such a great description, struggling to have everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. In some ways, that really gets at that, that middle part of your story, the spiral, where nothing's really making sense and you have to reach within yourself. The math's not adding up. You feel like you're being presented with choices that you can't make. They're impossible choices. You're ambivalent. Uh, you're experiencing what William Faulkner called the human heart in conflict with itself. It feels like you have to go to a polarized version of yourself, a, a one-eyed version of yourself. And the Green Goblin embodies that split by really portraying, and I don't mean this in an ableist sense, but either, either a villainous, violent take no prisoners, reject all morality, almost cartoonish villain, and a very human, very touching, very vulnerable, very weak, very insecure and confused person who needs not just therapy, but medical help for mental health problems. It's really a very touching portrayal. Uh, but at some point when you are polarized like that, You've got to make a choice whether you're going to integrate, which is hard, uh, those two halves, or whether you're going to pick one of them.
And that is that choice that he says to Peter. The, he, I, I think it's a false choice. When it feels like the world is making you choose, what it's really making you choose between is the world as it is and the world as you know it could be in your heart. That's the choice you're being forced to when it feels like the world is presenting you an impossible choice. That's when you've got to dig. That's when you, you stand in whatever your version of the spiral is, grab your version of whatever your math is, and uh, look in your heart, feel that loving feeling, find it, whatever got you out on this journey in the first place, remind yourself of it, and you'll know what to do. I really do feel that. You'll know the next thing. You, you may not know exactly where the path is going to lead you, but you can summon the strength to take the next step. And it may just be a matter of, you know that you should lift your foot up. You may not know if there's gonna be a path when you set it back down, but lifting your foot up and then maybe taking that, that next step of faith is all you need sometimes. And you can't get there, uh, or you can never lose it if you remember that magic that you set you out on the journey in the first place. And with Peter, it's, it's, his, it's his friends and his loved ones. And I think that's true of all of us. And so, uh, again, I do not want to give away any spoilers. It's, it really is a good movie. It puts your heart through those impossible choices as well. And it never lies to you and, and presents them as easy. And that's what makes them so interesting. But in, in the end, one, one piece of comfort and I, one reminder that we can always use um, that the movie does help you remember is that if, if you're being true to yourself and you're looking in your heart and you're listening to the people around you who do have your interest in their heart as well, and you know your visions are compatible with each other and that you care about the same things, um, you can take those leaps of faith and trust and hope. And that's really what the best stories do for us. And this, this movie is such a great example of it. I hope you do see it if you like movies or if you like superhero movies. And regardless, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. So next week, we'll be doing the other thing we do on this podcast. We talk about new movies, new blockbusters. Um, one movie we'll be talking about, I'm not quite sure exactly when, but it's relatively recent, is the blockbuster sci-fi epic Dune, which appears to be setting up to be the Lord of the Rings of the 2020s. I hope it is. Uh, it was great. So... If you're interested in seeing that and then you want to hear about it, I would go ahead and put it on your list. Um, but next week, we'll be watching a classic that many of you have probably already seen. Uh, but it's always a great one to revisit. I look forward to doing it myself. Back to the Future. So that'll be a lot of fun. I hope you join us next week. In which case, I will see you back here in the future. Pretty cool. All right. That's a wrap. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.